Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the BDM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast, audio, and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BDMGlobalNetwork.com. The BDM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. This is The KJ Show. The KJ Show with host Dr. Katherine Johnson is a mix of breaking news and practical advice on the many ways in which the energy industry can affect you and your family. Catherine will combine energy updates and conversations with leaders in the energy efficiency community. So please welcome your host, Dr. KJ. Welcome to the KJ Show on the Bold Brave TV Network. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host. And today we're going to be talking about something that has really become much more apparent in the last few months, energy policies and paradoxes. But first, I want to start with some of the breaking news, also known as you can't make this stuff up. And I also want to remind everyone that the facts and the figures that I quote aren't my opinion, actually. They're, they're all researched from various publicly available news articles, journals, uh, news stories, magazines. So this isn't just Katherine Johnson talking because I've been in the business for 30 years. This is the former journalist Katherine Johnson doing her research and preventing, providing you some of the insights that aren't necessarily covered in the daily news and things that I really think we need to be discussing. So first I want to talk about uh, BP or British Petroleum, which I talked about in a few uh, last week about how they were the ones behind developing the notion of a carbon footprint and making us all feel guilty because we emit carbons and even homeless people emit carbon. Um, and so that whole notion of trying to reduce our carbon footprint. So I found it highly ironic and paradoxical that British Petroleum just reported the, its biggest profits in 14 years in one quarter. It was actually over eight and a half billion dollars in profit while energy bills in England went up to 3,700 pounds, which is more than $4,000 for us. So that is amazing to me. It's an amazing paradox and an amazing almost hypocrisy that they're promoting us for us to reduce our carbon footprint while they go ahead and generate millions of, pro of dollars, billions of dollars in profits um, in one quarter selling fossil fuels. 
They also were not alone. I don't want to just beat up on BP, but they are also working with all the other energy companies are getting windfall profits, windfall profits from Shell and other British and European uh, oil and gas firms are making a lot of money in this constrained market. And as, of course, the supplies from Russia are not coming in, they're obviously having to switch to other sources of supply. And British Petroleum is doing quite well. The other thing that I really thought was even more disturbing than windfall, pro windfall profits, which happens in the U.S. too, of course, is that British Petroleum, or BP, actually exploited Mexican communities hoping to benefit from carbon credits. So let me get this straight. They not only developed the notion of a carbon, cal carbon footprint calculator, they actually cheated Mexican villages out of their rightful carbon credits. What happened is they worked with an organization in Mexico, a community, non-government organization, that was going to help give 60, 59 Mexican villages around the rural areas, and they were going to encourage these Mexican villagers to protect and um, protect and replant land, forest lands and protect them from the ravages of cattle farming. So they sold about, they, they had about half a million acres of land that was dedicated to replanting and reforestation, which is basically a carbon offset. And British Petroleum bought millions of these. But instead of paying the market value, which was about $8 per carbon ton of carbon, they paid $4 per ton of carbon, half, not even market value, not that, you know, in whatever carbon markets there are. And the carbon credit was supposed to help encourage conservation and environmental protection. And it was even developed by the World Resources Institute, which is an environmental fund. But they were also complicit in basically cheating these Mexican farmers and ranchers out of their rightful price in the market. And these are indigenous peoples, by the way. These are not the first time. This is not the first time uh, corporations have um, damaged or hindered or caused problems with indigenous peoples. It's just the most recent example. And the most disturbing part about this, and this is where the paradox really comes in, the United States was complicit in this plan. USAID, which provides in, in foreign aid to countries all over the world, actually was part of funding this project. And they knew that the price that they were paying at $4 per ton of carbon was a bargain. And they knew they were cheating these indigenous peoples. So here we are looking at a company and looking at a country and, uh, and us as well. So we talk about, environmentalists talk about wanting to protect indigenous peoples and wanting to protect countries from being ravaged by the evils of carbon. But when the biggest, one of the biggest companies in the world, oil companies, works with the United States and environmental groups to effectively cheat indigenous peoples. One of the local Mexican regulators said to them, it was basically a land grab and certainly human rights violations to enable, quote, corporate polluters like British Petroleum and Chevron to continue profiting from pollution while claiming forest protection. And they basically thought that this was really not the way to go out, protecting forests. We know that the forests are important. And to not even give the Mexican people the proper dollar value, that the price that they're supposed to pay. So that, to me, was a really big paradox. But there's even more going on. Um, one of the other things that I found was interesting is, you know, Amazon has been pushing to become carbon neutral or net zero by 2040. And they said that they've been challenged, though, because Amazon was having to develop. And during COVID, they, they increased a lot more deliveries. And obviously, their production uh, went up and their deliveries went up because everybody was stranded at home and we couldn't eat, actually go to the store and buy things. So we were buying things online. In fact, Amazon's carbon emissions grew by 18 percent 
even though they are committed to reducing their, quote, carbon footprint. And one of the other problems that Amazon is facing, along with Walmart, is that Walmart has actually fired, filed a lawsuit against Tesla because they put solar panels from, from Tesla's company, make solar PV panels. They actually caught fire on seven different stores around the country. So, so Walmart fire, uh, set, uh, filed a lawsuit saying that that isn't fair that they're they're trying to go solar, they're trying to go environmentally friendly. Unfortunately, the solar panels that they installed from Tesla are defective, and now they're going to have to actually cut those challenges and now no longer do solar PV buildings. So it seems like they're moving in the wrong direction. So this is Catherine Donson on the Bold Brave TV network. You're watching the KJ Show, and we'll be right back. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick. Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to Easy sense.com and learn how with your help we can fight these horrific brain disorders that's easysense.com to learn more and help support the broderick foundation author radio show host and coach john m hawkins reveals strategies to help gain perspective build confidence find clarity achieve goals john m hawkins new book Coached to Greatness, unlock your full potential with limitless growth. Published by iUniverse, Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them. We discover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies. Find settings that allow them to be the most productive and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Good morning or good afternoon. This is Katherine Johnson on the Bold Brave TV network. Um, I'm Dr. Johnson, your host, and today we've been talking about energy policies and paradoxes. And I wanted to use this opportunity to really talk about a topic that's been near and dear to my heart for quite a few years is just how green is the Green New Deal? Now, the 
Inflation Reduction Act was just passed in, Cong in, in the Senate through an all-nighter session, and that's why I'm wearing green jewelry today in honor of the Green, green New Deal, but it isn't actually that green. And that's one of the paradoxes I wanted to discuss today. So originally, we may remember that AOC uh, introduced this massive bill for the Green New Deal that was going to fundamentally transform the American economy. We we're going to move away from internal combustion engines. We were going to go all electric all the time. And it was just going to be so good for the environment. And so the Inflation Reduction Act captured some of those provisions from the original Green New Deal, but they actually added in a few other provisions that aren't exactly environmentally friendly. And it's also gone through quite a number of sig uh, significant changes. And this is something kind of akin to you don't want to watch how a sausage is being made. I don't think we really understood how this deal came to be made. But the problem that there's some really good parts. I mean, I want to be completely objective. There are some really good provisions in this IRA um, Act. They actually are going to spend um, over. $260 billion in new carbon uh, supports and technologies for carbon tax credits and clean energy tax credits. They're going to spend incentives to help reduce methane emissions. Again, that's something produced by, by, by cows and by natural gas. And also they're going to create a public bank to help finance and foster the development of clean energy technologies, which sounds terrific. However, the things that aren't getting much press but are also getting quite a few dollars is the Nuclear Power Protection Tax Credit as a way to stop um, or to limit um, the closing of nuclear power plants, which is something that's been happening. That's one of the reasons we're having these energy supply crises is because um, nuclear power plants are closing. So they're now actually in this Green Infrastructure Reduction Act, they're actually going to start subsidizing nuclear power plants to keep running. I don't think that's what was envisioned when they developed this new deal. They also are going to um, speed up the approval process for energy uh, pipelines, which is one of the key provisions that Joe Manchin pushed through. And they're also going to, I'll talk about a little bit more, um, require fossil fuel leasing before you can actually develop solar and wind. So here are three things that are already not green. Um, there are people that debate whether or not nuclear energy is actually renewable. Some people say it is, some people say it isn't. But 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't considered particularly environmentally friendly due to the nuclear waste. And so now what are happening is we're actually funding the continuation of nuclear and fossil fuel development. There are other good benefits. There's uh, incentives for miners and the Black Lung Trust, which, of course, something Joe Manchin would want to do for his constituents in West Virginia. And they are providing ex extensive funding for clean energy companies to continue to develop new clean energy solutions. But I remember back with the era, with the era funding, Biden funded quite a few solar companies that went belly up after billions and billions of our do dollars didn't really support a technology. So it's a technology that isn't really necessarily self-sustaining in the market, and they're using our tax dollars to support and prop it up. The other thing is that the clean energy electric vehicle credits that they're, asked, that they're providing in this bill, 70 to 80 percent of the current electric vehicles produced currently would not qualify for these EV tax credits. So it's not even this generation of electric vehicles that are being subsidized. It's the next generation. And the next generation is a um, couple years away. And the reason they're not allowing current generate current vehicles is because of the human rights abuses that China uses with their forced labor and obviously the child labor mining in Africa. So as a way to kind of punch down on China and sort of say, China, stop with your abuses, 
no electric vehicles parts have to be can be produced anywhere but in the United States. So we don't have U.S. companies currently producing electric vehicles. In fact, we have U.S. companies like Ford laying off um, company laying off their workers in their internal combustion side of the business in order to fund their fossil, their electric vehicles because it is not a financially economic concept right now. But the other thing I thought most troubling for people who care about the world and care about the land is they are now requiring drilling leases for drilling and oil oil and and gas drilling on public lands and where anyone in order to allow the development of solar and wind so they're actually putting the development of fossil fuels ahead of the development of renewable energy how is that green and how in the world did that even get through past well now we know why mansion passed this bill or signed and agreed to go with this bill. The reason is, is because his deep dreams are not really that green. He had put in some pretty interesting provisions that benefited West Virginia specifically. Remember the EPA is now required to go through a much faster review of environmental projects? Well, that's because they've been trying to get the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which runs through Virginia and West Virginia, passed for about 10 years, and it's cost double the amount of money due to environmental activists who are concerned because the pipelines are running through waterways, uh, woodlands, forests, things that could cause environmental damage. So the EPA, being very um, stringent, wanted to make sure that the new pipeline wouldn't have these, cause these environmental side effects. But now with the new bill, that provision got eliminated, and all of a sudden, the EPA's re review process has been streamlined. Um, he also wanted to support uh, the climate bill that you know actually leads to a natural gas line and pi uh, pipeline, um, but and he also wanted to, uh, turns out that the, because the, the delays from the EPA has been so big, they actually doubled the price from three and a half billion to five, to five billion. So now are we, we now, as part of this Infrastructure Reduction Act, or I'm sorry, Inflation Reduction Act, that was a Freudian slip a friend of mine made, that they're actually allowing the expansion of a natural gas pipeline that will, may damage the environment. So here we are. We started with AOC and her and her provisions a few years ago, promoting the development of you know a renewable, clean energy economy. Yet, where this particular bill isn't really doing much to to encourage that. In fact, the opposite has happened. Hence, the paradox: energy bills are going to continue to increase. We're going to use allow fossil fuel drilling on public lands, so oil and and gas drilling, which is not any different than any the previous administration, frankly. And they're going to subsidize industries with our dollars that have yet to be proven financially independent and, and viable. So this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk today about energy policies and paradoxes. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson on the Bold Brave TV network, and we'll be right back. Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality, but it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating? Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them, often in a single session. Like it was almost instant, like I had relief right away. Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety and into awareness. Definitely something's happening. Uh, it's like a, a flow inside. You know, it feels good. Whether in person or online, Shiraz provides personal coaching, belief shifting. Visit Shiraz at energeticmagic.com. 
or call 416-529-7429. Energetic Magic on the BBM Global Network, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Find your greater happiness. Be well. Be aware. Be magical. Are you struggling to care for elderly parents or a spouse? Do you wonder if being a caregiver is making you sick? Are you worried about taking time off work to care for elderly parents and balance work, life, and caregiving? Has caregiving become exhausting and emotionally draining? Are you an aging adult who wants to remain independent, but you're not sure how? I'm Pamela D. Wilson. Join me for the Caring Generation radio show for caregivers and aging adults, Wednesday evenings, 6 Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, and 9 Eastern, where I answer these questions and share tips for managing stress, family relationships, health, well-being, and more. Podcasts and transcripts of The Caring Generation are on my website, PamelaDWilson.com, plus my caregiving library, online caregiver support programs, and programs for corporations interested in supporting working caregivers. Help, hope, and support for caregivers is here on The Caring Generation and PamelaDWilson.com. Welcome back to the KJ Show. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson on the Bold Brave TV Network, and today we've been talking about energy policies and paradoxes. But I want to kind of lighten it up a bit and talk about some of the interesting alternative energy sources that I bet you've never heard of, but are currently being developed and experimented with uh, around the world. Um, so for, my favorite first one is called is solar wind. Now, I'm a sailor, not a very good one, and but I understand wind and how wind can catch your wind in a sail and it pushes you forward. Well, a Japanese co uh, company work, working with Washington University was able to develop a spacecraft that could actually capture the solar wind and puff, patrol the, the push this spacecraft across the space of the real basically propel it in, in space. Um, the problem is it's located about 130 mi million miles away from the sun and 150 million miles away from Earth. So they just don't know how they can capture that energy that's propelling the aircraft or the spacecraft from the sun. How are they going to get it back to the Earth? They tried it in 2011 or so in Japan. They were able to test it again in 2015, but they don't really have a practical application. So it's an interesting physics experiment and the fact that there is a solar wind, but I just don't see us being able to capture giant solar wind sails and then use that as energy that could potentially provide all of the energy from the sun that we would ever need in a cost-effective manner anytime in the near future. Um, the another interesting area has been the growth of biofuels, and there's been a lot of biofuel technologies, and I'll talk a little bit more about ethanol a little bit later on, but one, one of them has been promising is algae, where you're able to use algae to create a biofuel that obviously you can use in farming, and it's a much, you know, the algae can be farmed, it's very low carbon emissions, and it's actually considered, they actually take photosynthesis and they use the photosynthesis to create a biofuel. And the thing is it can actually use gray water or, or seawater to create this fuel that they can then put in to, um, as a, into cars and trucks for transportation. Again, great idea. The problem is they've had about two dozen companies that have experimented with this algae biofuel idea and none of them have been profitable. There's another one that's trying to can bring it up in 2022, and it's still not very profitable. So again, it's another, sounds like a great idea, let's use photosynthesis to generate electricity, 
but it's kind of practically difficult. And um, again, a really interesting uh, science experiment. Now, I do have to say the Europeans are ahead of us on many of these inventions. Uh, one of them is in Sweden, in Stockholm, which is a beautiful city and very environmentally friendly and very clean. They take have taken the body heat, heat from 250,000 commuters at the central train station, captured it through water, then transferred it a, a block away to heat and cool a building that's owned by the same owned by the same company as the as the technology. So they've actually harnessed the heat of commuters and have turned it into electricity. It costs about thirty thousand dollars. The challenge is we don't know how long what the the transmission or line losses would be in my business. How how far can we conduct that heat? Um, it said it only costs about thirty thousand dollars to do the technology, and it's warm up the the line. You know, they warm up the body heat, they capture it, they put, warm up the water in underground tanks, and they pump it to the next building over. Um, but they think it will actually have twenty five thousand percent, twenty five percent of the building's heat when it can be fully operational. It sounds great, but is that only going to work during rush hour when you have the two hundred fifty thousand commuters? Because I can tell you, in the middle of the day or on a Sunday. It's not going to have it. Maybe the building isn't occupied. But that's something else that's sort of wondering. Capturing body heat to generate electricity. Oh, interesting idea. A similar concept that's gotten a lot of um, press out in Europe in, in Rotterdam is another company developed something called an energy floor, which they basically are harnessing the kinetic energy of the dancers on the floor, jumping, walking, to create the electricity that then powers the LEDs that light up. So as the dancers become more active, the lighting becomes more fun. And they've done a similar thing in streets in London, where the people who are walking on the street, the lights, lights shine, the LED lights flash, and everybody learns that their footprints are creating, their footsteps are creating energy electricity. Two problems. One, it's very small scale. And the other problem is, LEDs don't take that much electricity to generate in the first place. So I don't know, again, how feasible this process, this process is on a large scale. Another really interesting innovation, and maybe we've seen this on the commercials, I was like, jellyfish. Well, they've taken jellyfish, apparently jellyfish, which I hate, by the way. I'm a scuba diver. Jellyfish are terrible. Skin, they're, very, they're very dangerous. But they're beautiful. But apparently their skin, there's a protein that can generate an electric current that is suitable for powering things like nano devices like clocks and iPads and you know little little technologies and they've actually been able to do this so they're using the jellyfish not only the proteins from jellyfish but also from fireflies to actually create a protein that conducts electricity i don't know how many jellyfish you need to produce enough energy to power something more than a iphone uh, <laughs> i'm thinking it's going to be a lot of jellyfish and they're working and of course we don't want to kill all the jellyfish, so they're working on a way to grow artificial jellyfish to generate lights to power our nano devices. Again, not particularly scalable. And then, of course, we get into things like biofuels, where you're taking a substance like a waste product, like whether it's corn or alcohol or um, other types of plant matter, and they're mixing it with diesel or gasoline and turning it into um, a, a biofuel. Ethanol is probably one of the best examples. Henry Ford wanted to use ethanol to power his cars, but he found out that uh, petroleum was actually cheaper. So biofuel is sort of the term of blending, combining different food stocks and biomass uh, with gas or diesel, and they're calling it um, transportation fuels. But they can also be used to generate 
heating and electricity for heating and cooling. However, um, there's you know different types. There's biodiesel. There's ethanol. And in England, they in Sweden first in Sweden they actually confiscated took 185,000 gallons of alcohol that they had confiscated through customs, and instead of throwing it down the drain. They actually mixed it with diesel and also some other animal products that you probably don't want to know about, and they converted it into biofuel for their public buses. This actually sounds really interesting. London did a similar thing where they took the coffee beans from, you know, the coffee, wasted coffee beans, combined it with alcohol, and generated and created a biofuel to power one bus. Problem is it takes about 2.5 million cups of coffee to run a London bus for a year. And this is London, where coffee is not the prime drink of choice. So, again, this is the KJ Show on the Bold Brave TV network. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, and we'll be right back. The opiate epidemic has reached crisis levels, and with so many families affected by addiction, opiate-related drug overdoses, and death, the time is now to have a real constructive conversation about addiction that could lead to better prevention, treatment, and recovery. Alan Charles, author and keynote speaker on drug abuse and prevention, presents The Alan Charles Show. Alan brings a message of hope, sharing his unbelievable story of surviving a 24-year addiction to cocaine and highlights from his memoir, Walking Out the Other Side, an addict's journey from loneliness to life. His raw honesty and courageous heart breaks the stigma of addiction and offers a unique perspective into the mind of an addict. Join Alan each week as he brings his listeners to a true understanding of the grip of addiction. It is only with this understanding that we can begin to heal. The Alan Charles Show, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on the BBM Global Network. Have you ever felt like no one is listening or you're not getting the honest attention you deserve? Do you even know the kind of attention you want or need? You are not alone. Alice Aspen March is here to help. Thanks to Alice, through her epiphany and research over the word attention, there are solutions to the attention dilemma. Worldwide audiences have been enthralled and engaged for over 40 years with her visionary and pioneering observations. The kind of attention we get and give is vital to improving our lives and society. Alice and her weekly guests review game-changing insights for transforming and improving our understanding of attention, providing techniques for creating healthier and empowering behavior. Get a new perspective on a mainstream word. Tune into Why Our Attention Matters for fresh and thought-provoking conversations every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on BoldBraveMedia.com and the TuneIn Radio app. Welcome back to the KJ Show on the Bald Brave TV Network. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host, and today we've been talking about energy policies and paradoxes. And I'd love to get your feedback and input and even some, you know, ideas about what you think about the energy policies. You can call in today at 866-451-1451 to talk about the today's topic or any of the topics we've been discussing on my show in the last 12 weeks. So as we're waiting for callers, I wanted to mention a few news items that caught my attention. First of all, um, Vermont has been one of the first state to actually phase out linear fluorescent lights, and that's huge. That's a groundbreaking thing. Linear fluorescents are those long tubes that we have in all of our office lighting, and I have it in my laundry room and on the kitchen and places, and it's the first state to actually phase out these um, lights, and they're going to swap them to LEDs. So it's a really interesting, groundbreaking 
technology move and lighting market has changed so dramatically. Lighting is probably the most fastest changing technology we have in the energy industry. So uh, come in and join the conversation, 866-451-1451. And if you don't, I'll just continue chatting about some of the more interesting things and news that I found. And this is really something that actually made me laugh. Um, you know, we've been talking about electric vehicles and uh, electric trucks and electric cars. And actually, yesterday I was listening to a tidbit of news on NPR where they're trying to convince us that uh, range and range isn't shouldn't be something we should think about when you buy an electric vehicle. You shouldn't be thinking about the fact you can only go 300 miles before you have to charge up. That that's not an appropriate barrier to electric vehicles. I love it when NPR tells me what's appropriate and not. But um, formula racing, you know, the really really fast cars, the 100, 200, 300 thousand dollar race cars from Formula One all over the all over Europe, they're going to switch to electric vehicle race cars. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Um, how far can they go? And how long is it? I mean, is it going to be as exciting as a traditional elect, a traditional race where they, you know, zoom around the tracks or Monaco and other places? And the, the pit stops are actually 1.8 seconds is the is the fastest pit stop they've ever recorded for a tr traditional Formula One race. Well, now they're going to switch to electric vehicles, which apparently can go about 300 miles an hour. Um, but they're going to actually look at a way to make it um, make it more energy, you know, an electric vehicle race car, which then itself also sounds like a paradox. But they want the most, you know, these manufacturers are looking for ways to make it the most efficient formula racing car ever built. They, they want about 95% of the efficiency. They want to figure out ways in order to recharge the battery. So I did a little digging. And it apparently it'll take, uh, they have developed something called fast, fast chargers. I mean, ultra charging capability, 600 kW uh, during a race. Now, most fast chargers are 200. So they really are using these formula electric vehicle race cars as a way to test and improve the current technology for the re regular vehicles that some of us can afford. And so they're really looking at ways to speed up the charging process because with electric vehicles, that's one of the problems is you can go about 300 or 300 miles and then you have to take about an hour, or 45 minutes to an hour to charge it up to 80% before you can turn up. Okay. Um, so now it's going to take three minutes to charge the car in the pit stop, not 1.2 seconds. Hello, who's calling in today? Hello, this is um, Nicholas Johnson. I'm calling in to talk about how wind farms are supposed to be energy independent. They're supposed to be clean, but yet it takes a lot of fossil fuels to build them. You're absolutely right. And wind farms cause all kinds of problems. In fact, you're right. They take the materials to build energy. Wind farms uses a lot of uh, fossil fuel technology. They can't be recycled when they break. And then when the wind tunnels fall down, they actually sometimes damage property and animals. So yes, wind farms are not particularly, uh, wind turbines are not particularly energy efficient. Don't they also kill birds too? Yeah, but some say that it's not to the same effect as coal power plants. Okay, maybe that's true. But I am concerned about the environmental consequences and dangers of using um, use, trying to promote fossil, you know, trying to promote energy efficient technologies or clean energy technologies when we're relying on fossil fuels to manufacture them. 
That's an excellent point. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for having me. Yes, I am. Bye. Oh, darn. All right. Well, we'll keep going. So um, as we said today, I was talking a little bit about the fact that the Formula One uh, electric vehicle cars can go about 300, 200 miles an hour, which is pretty fast. Um, but the pit stops, instead of taking 1.8 seconds, which I can't even imagine how they change tires and do all the things they do on a typical car, to three minutes. Now, I haven't been to very many auto races, but I'm pretty sure a three-minute differential in pit stops would actually mean the difference of quite a few finishes. I also think that three minutes is a long, long time in, a, in an auto race. So again, it's a wonderful idea to promote electric vehicles for racing, and, and you know it's a great idea for manufacturers to experiment, but the practicalities of many of these technologies just don't seem to pan out when we think about it. Another really interesting idea that I came across, again, something that I almost can't make up, is that now they're figuring out, I was talking about different energy forms, well now they're actually talking about connecting solar rafts, putting solar rafts together and connecting them to offshore power, like the wind, the wind turbines that the caller was just talking about. So they're putting together these panels, solar panels, they're hooking them up like a carpet, and they're going to send them out to the North Sea to see if they can connect and, and transmit or transfer the energy back from the wind from the offshore wind turbine through solar back to the mainland. Um, and it's a design, you know, they design the solar panels. They're called solar ducts, and they're actually designed. They've been in a lot of different, you know, they've been trying them out in Europe. There's a floating solar park in the North Sea that will think of that can generate about 500 kWs in Belgium. Uh, however, they don't necessarily know if this particular technology is actually going to work because they don't know how it's going to how these solar panels are going to withstand high waves, high winds of the North Sea. I've been to Scotland. The North Sea is very, very windy and cold and wavy and it's, you know, kind of a formidable place. So that's an interesting idea to try and put solar panels together, kind of like a carpet or a duck, and, trans and develop these platforms, float it out to sea, and then somehow be able to use that to transfer the wind power via solar power back to the, to the mainland. Seems like there's a lot of links in the chain that could be broken or, or damaged, and um, they've actually gotten testing. They're actually getting to do, to do testing in Belgium and in, in Scotland. Uh, again, it's an interesting idea. I really love the creativity of these ideas but I just don't understand or just don't know if they're ready for prime time. Again, you're on the KJ Show, the Bold Brave TV Network. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host, and we'll be right back. Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the veteran spoke-style wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. 
Nancy Zorik, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorik has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for the Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the BBM Global Dr. RC will share extraordinary resources and services that promote educational success as well as making a difference in the lives of all social workers as well as the lives of children, adolescents, and teens of today. She will have open discussions addressing many of the issues that we face about our youth and how being employed in the uniquely skilled profession of social work for over 18 years has taught invaluable lessons through her personal experiences. She will also provide real-life facts, examples, and personal stories that will confirm that why serving as a child advocate is extremely beneficial when addressing the needs of the whole child. Listen live to Dare to Soar, Saturdays, 10 a.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network. And tune in radio as Dr. R.C. will provide thought-provoking information that will empower, encourage, and strengthen students, families, and communities across our nation. You can also visit her at soarwithkady.com. Welcome back to the Bold Brave TV Network. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, and you're on the KJ Show. And today we've been talking about energy policies and paradoxes. And I really do love the creativity of these renewable energy engineers that are trying to figure out ways to other alternatives to generate electricity, whether it's solar wind or, or rafts that connect to wind turbines in the middle of the ocean or the, or the North Sea. But I want to talk about sort of a cautionary tale the economics and ethics of ethanol, because ethanol is a biofuel, and, and it's been widely adapt, adopted. It's now required pretty much in every gasoline pump you go to. You have to have 10% ethanol. And, but ethanol has some downsides that people are now really even starting to reconsider how good is ethanol as a fuel source, a biofuel source. So it's used um, to generate, you take corn basically, and you, you distill it through fermentation, not much different than other ways you ferment things, and you do produce ethanol. But the problem is ethanol is only 97% as efficient as gasoline, and it doesn't occur naturally, which means you take a process that has to occur in the laboratory or in a production facility. So it's not like photosynthesis or solar that we can take a naturally occurring event. We're actually having to produce this, to manufacture it. So we take corn, we turn it into ethanol. But when you start looking at the economics of ethanol, you find out um, in this research study that Cornell University did. Now, Cornell University is a land-grant college or university, which means they study, have an agricultural school. It's very well respected and very well known. So these are, far, these are agricultural experts who went and, under, and investigated the actual costs and side effects of ethanol. And what they found out was that ethanol costs customers more. It is approximately, they receive a billion dollars a year in federal and state subsidies because apparently the manufacturers, the big, big food, the big agricultural businesses that grow the corn aren't quite energy, aren't quite economically able to create enough ethanol at a profitable basis. So we have to have money 
to prop up these industries, to support these industries. And then because these big agriculture industries are being subsidized to produce ethanol, so they're taking the corn, that makes all the other prices in the supply chain increase because corn is used as a feedstock, so it increases the prices of meat and milk and eggs because corn is not fed to the chickens and cows. Instead, it's being diverted to create a transportation fuel. And then the problem is, so not only does ethanol cost more, it creates higher prices that are passed on to customers, not only at the pump, but also in the, in the grocery stores. And we, as we've seen recently with the rise in inflation, we know that food prices are increasing. So ethanol actually contributes to that increase in inflation and food prices, something that never really comes across in most of the news stories I read about. The other thing that I found really interesting that these agricultural scientists at Cornell University determined was that corn-based ethanol is actually caught, creates climate change. It's actually worse for the environment than gasoline. They found that they attain about less energy, 30% less energy per volume. And so they also found that the National Wildlife Federation and the Department of Energy hardly, you know, not well-known organizations determine that ethanol is 24% more carbon intensive than gasoline. Because in order to grow corn, you have to use things like fertilizer and fuel for the tractors. And I, we've been hearing about how expensive diesel prices have been for farmers. And they saw, and they also tilling the land, all of which causes climate change effects, all of which damage the environment and because growing corn is apparently a carbon intensive business. So the average, so what they did is they, the, this agricultural experts at Cornell actually did an analysis. Um, and I love analysis. I love economists who come up with different modeling scenarios. It's very similar to what I do in my work. So they determined that if the average US automobile travels 10,000 miles a year, and this is obviously not in a COVID pandemic, but they travel about 10,000 miles a year. They need about 852 gallons if we only went all ethanol. 852 gallons a year, which would take 11 acres of land to grow. And that is the entire amount of, that's the amount of land to feed seven Americans. So in order to fuel our car for one year, we'd have to divert resources that feed seven Americans. Taking that model even further down the logic, you would understand that in order for all of the automobiles in the United States to be powered by 100% ethanol, which by the way has carbon, uh, yeah, carbon impacts, would take 97% of the land area needed to grow feedstock. So basically that would cover the entire farmland of America. So in order to fuel our cars, we'd have to stop, we'd have to stop growing, we'd have to take all of our corn production and put it into transportation, which gets into the ethics of these things. I mean, why are we now taking food literally to use, to put in our cars, rather than food that we export to other nations and food that we use to feed our own, to feed our citizens as well? And as we know, with the Ukrainian war crisis, the uh, oil and gas shortages in Europe, they're not able to ship their wheat out. And there's a food, there's already a constrained food supply. So I'm sort of wondering about the ethics of, is it right to take corn and use a very carbon intensive process to transform it into ethanol so we can feel better when we fill up our tanks at four or five bucks a gallon? Or is it better to take corn and use it for what it's originally intended for, which is to feed man and animals and to help 
you know, keep the, the world food population, world food stocks high. So the EPA has been considering, given all these new ideas and these new findings from these studies, that perhaps ethanol isn't as climate friendly and as and as good for the environment as they originally thought. And they're actually thinking about changing some of the rules next year. So they're actually thinking that maybe they underestimated the amount of emissions that's caused in generating corn to create ethanol. And they underestimated the emissions impact of the land, just growing it with the nitrogen fertilizers. And so now the EPA is thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't be using ethanol in our, in, to, as, a, as a biofuel. This brings me to the biggest paradox of all. If we've had ethanol in our, our gas systems and we've been tying it for 10 years and we find out really that the unintended consequences of ethanol are far more far greater than the benefits of ethanol, why are we promoting it? So why are we promoting technologies that years later find are not very good for the climate and are not very good for the planet and actually aren't going to reduce our fossil fuel emissions at all? Which makes me wonder what other technologies, the ones that I mentioned earlier in the show, or what other policies, like immediately shifting to electric vehicles, what are the unintended long-term consequences of those decisions? And will we come to find out in five or 10 years that maybe those aren't the best ideas? So let's take a minute. Let's make sure that we, the, the policymakers understand the full ramifications of these decisions before they automatically move us to a future that we're not ready for. Again, this is the Bold Brave TV Network. I'm Katherine Johnson, your host on The KJ Show. We'll be right back. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick. Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to Easy sense.com and learn how with your help we can fight these horrific brain disorders that's easysense.com to learn more and help support the broderick foundation author radio show host and coach john m hawkins reveals strategies to help gain perspective build confidence find clarity achieve goals John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached to Greatness, Unlock Your Full Potential with Limitless Growth, published by iUniverse. Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them rediscover and assess their core values philosophies and competencies find settings that allow them to be the most productive and track their progress towards accomplishing goals listen to john hawkins my strategy saturdays 1 p.m eastern on the bbm global network and tune in radio
Welcome back to the Bold Brave TV Network. I'm Dr. Katherine your jo Johnson, your host on the KJ Show. And today we've been talking about energy policies and paradoxes and some of the more amusing and also kind of alarming things that have been happening with the with the world of renewable energy. I mean, I think there's a lot of excitement on the horizon, but I also think that a lot of this is not thought well through. And that's something that our policy makers and our regulators really need to think about when they're passing mil the largest carb uh, climate bill in history and giving hundreds of billions of dollars to technologies that really haven't yet had a, what we call a proof of concept. But we can also switch gears a little bit because I always like to talk about fun stuff. And we're in the dog days of summer. And if you heard any noise earlier today, that would be my dogs, Bonnie and Barley Hops. They're right now behaving, but apparently they always they don't always behave. And that's usually because when I'm on the show, they want to have my attention, of course. They're Glen of Amal Terriers, which are a beautiful, old, ancient breed from Ireland, the Wicklow Mountains. So the way they look is if you can envision an, an Irish wolfhound and a corgi getting together and producing an uh, Irish wolfhound without the uh, dwarf version, which is exactly what a Glen of Amal is. It's basically the Irish wolfhound without the stilts. And it's because they were bred when the Brits went over to Ireland during one of their many wars, and the dogs got together, and they created this wonderful breed that was trained to turn the spit and rotis like a rotisserie chicken, they would actually be turning the spit. So they have very strong, um, big, big, burly kind of legs, and they're very tardy, which is one of the reasons I picked them as a breed. Um, I wanted a dog that could, frankly, handle the hurly-burly and, and you know, difficult life I had when we first got our first dog um, uh, 15, 16 years ago, um, who was uh, named Bran. And she was brilliant. She, she could understand all of my children. My children all have different different needs. And she was very good and very patient. She could roughhouse, but she could also play nicely with um, with the children. And she wasn't, but she wasn't a dainty little terrier that would, you know, get smushed accidentally. So that's why I like them. They were hardy and they're they're self sufficient in some respects. And they're very they're not supposed to bark. Um, which is something that apparently the, my two Glens never learned that rule, that they weren't past that Glen knowledge. But they're very common in Ireland, and they're also, surprisingly, there's about 700 of them that are common in Irish regions of America, such as Massachusetts. So I would, you know, go on my website, you'll see pictures of my dogs, Barley Hops, who's a puppy, he's about three, and Bonnie, who's six. Um, and they're just adorable companions. Frankly, they're better than my therapist. Um, I don't need a therapist anymore, I have my two Glens. But I also want to talk about dogs, the dog days of summer. And August has always been the month that I go on vacation. Now, in France, everybody goes on vacation in August. But when I was growing up, I would go off to summer camp in August, and I would have – or I'd go to the lake house that we had – you know, a little cottage up in the northern woods of Minnesota, and we'd spend a week or two at a cottage fishing, and, and it was called Gull Lake, and it was just this idyllic time. And during one of those wonderful, lazy summers, I actually never got to really have a lazy summer. My mother always kept us really busy, but it was lazy in terms of we didn't have schoolwork. Just one year, she read me Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And so I always equate The Adventures of Tom Sawyer with the dog days of August because Tom Sawyer is something magical about reading that book for the first time when you're looking at a lake and you're fishing and you're thinking about all the adventures that these young boys had in Hannibal, Missouri, and all the little mischief that they got into, and, you know, the murder trail is kind of exciting. And I was on a Mississippi River cruise not too long ago, and there was a Mark Twain uh, reenactor who claimed that Mark Twain only wrote books about the summer because that was his favorite month. 
favorite season. I don't necessarily agree with that because I do remember other parts of his books where it wasn't always in the summer. But I do understand that Mark Twain had an appreciation for summer and caught and captured so beautifully both in Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn the joys of those lazy summers. And to me, that really is what the dog days of summer are about. We're able to enjoy, take some time, or hopefully outside enjoying the world that that we have to live in and we're sailing or we're walking our dogs through trails in, in Maryland, or we're just taking a moment to read a book on a beach. No, I have a book I can recommend to you to read, Grit and Granite, but more fundamentally, I hope you have a chance to enjoy the dog days of summer and also appreciate the world that we have. So this has been the KJ Show on the Bald Brave TV Network. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host, and thank you so much for joining us today. This has been the KJ Show. Tune in next week as Catherine shares her insights to current changes in the energy industry while drawing on her experience as an energy efficiency consultant for the past 30 years. Right here on the KJ Show. You've been listening to the BM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network.